are entering the Freedom Hut. Is it possible to be racist against white people? Based on the latest from the New York Times in their hiring practices, it seems they think the answer is no. And a lot of liberals agree with them. We'll talk about that. Plus, the showdown between Acosta and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That turned into quite a melee today over at the White House. And Russia is still meddling. What are we going to do about it? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you. You guys are going to have to tell me that I can't open the show every day with that, but for right now, it's, I don't know, I I find it pretty amusing. Uh, We have have so much to get to today. I'm so pleased to get a chance to to address uh, many of the the most important news stories around uh, for for your uh, listening and for, for Give me a chance to bring you all the latest analysis and everything else. Uh, we've got the Acosta Sanders throwdown, which is one of the most important exchanges on what a bunch of fakery and a bunch of nonsense mainstream media, the mainstream media is, and and what we need to do now to to get beyond this era of. Uh, the, the pretense of objective journalism. And this is a lie. We don't have to play along anymore. We should not play along anymore. People should be honest about what they think and what they believe. Facts are facts. Facts don't need partisan opinions. Facts don't need partisan context, right? But let's all be honest about it. But the, the throwdown between Huckabee Sanders and Jim Acosta uh, is something we will spend some time on, to be sure. Also, some comments today from the Director of National Intelligence, Coates, about... Uh, Russian meddling, and I want to give you a, my, my perspective on this. You know, the, for, for one, the DNI is a job. I don't even know what the DNI does. I don't think the DNI knows what the DNI does. It's essentially a liaison position between a massive intelligence bureaucracy and the White House. Uh, people think the DNI is some kind of expert in all things. That is not the case, trust me. Uh, but this coach, is, coach is a smart dude, and we'll talk about the Russian meddling of it. Also, later on in the show, I've got uh, Steve Yates, who just was in, uh, just was in East Asia, uh, he's going to be talking to us about the chi- the threat from China to Taiwan, the military threat from China to Taiwan, and where that stands right now. And, and Rahim Kassam will be joining, too, uh, to have a chat about uh, the man who was arrested in the U.K. for reporting on these rape uh, grooming gangs. Uh, so we will talk about that, too. I, I We have so much more show today than we have time for, folks, so I, I want to try to get get right into it um i'm starting the show today with a question i think it's an important one and the question is is it is it possible to be racist against white people now before i get into the details of this let me say the answer is of course yes right you know this i know this it is possible to be racist against anyone of any background or, or color or ethnicity uh, racism is 
hatred or dislike or maligning or you know putting someone down or thinking less of someone because of their race or their skin color. That's what racism is. It's a very straightforward term to define. But the left and all of its contortions, its lack of, of principle, its relentless pursuit of the power to silence opposition and, and dissent and the robust exchange of ideas, the, the left has decided to reinterpret, in fact, to redefine racism in such a way that it no longer can be used against white people. Meaning you you cannot be, you can hate somebody because they're white, you can put them down because they're white, you can say whatever you want about white people, and it's not racism. It may be not nice. It may be not commendable. They'll, they'll admit to that. Maybe people shouldn't act that way, but they won't go beyond that. They won't agree that it's racism because, you see, the left has also created an environment where there are consequences for racism. You are told... If you are racist, you should lose your job. You should be pushed out of the public square, sometimes literally pushed, by the way, out of the public square. You should be reviled by friends and colleagues. You should be shunned, and your life should be ruined. That is the social punishment that the left has meted out for racism, real and imagined, I would add, for decades now. And it, with the social media mob element added to it, is more powerful now than it has ever been before. Uh, to be called a racist in our society is probably second only to being called a pedophile for the damage and destruction that it does to you. Uh, to be called a racist is to be ruined. And this is a mechanism that they have set up. Now look, I also don't need to tell you that actual racism is uh, is beneath contempt, that it is anti-conservative to be racist, that to think of a human being and human dignity and ability and skills as in any way linked to uh, one's pigmentation, one's skin color, is to reject reason, to reject science, and to reject natural law. That racism is antithetical to conservatism. Uh, and it is certainly antithetical as well to the natural law underpinnings of human liberty and human dignity. So now that we've put all that into some context, let's deal with what the New York Times thinks does and does not qualify for racism. So they they hired somebody. Now, folks, this is a big story because it, it this is the the double standard laid bare, slammed in your face, and they're not backing down off of it at all. In fact, now they're 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 openly willing to say that they use a double standard in the application of their racism uh, their racism enforcement, you could say. The New York Times has hired Sarah Jong, their newest editorial uh, hire. She is uh, joining to do, I think, technology, some kind of a technology writing post. And now you will also note, before I get into her some of her Twitter history, that this is a game that liberals have been playing for a while. And the game is that they will go back into someone's tweets, into someone's previous statements, and find something to crush them with. And then they demand that they're fired, they go after their sponsors, they ruin their lives. That's the game that liberals play. And they do it sometimes to people that did step out of line or say things that they shouldn't have, but they also do it to people that uh, they're just trying to destroy in a cynical weaponization of public conceptions of racism. 
right? And, and public revulsion against racism. So they've been doing this, and they realize a very powerful tool in their, in their arsenal against their ideological opponents. Not just to call out real racism, but to call out anybody they can for racism, knowing that by the time they have a chance to push back and, and try and, and defend themselves or speak the truth, they're already ruined. They've done this to lots of folks. Um, and they're going to continue to it. Now, people like Kevin Williamson come to mind here. Kevin Williamson is somebody I've had on as a guest many, many times in the past. Uh, I, w- without any offense to any of the National Review writers, I think he's probably the most gifted. He was the most gifted writer at National Review of, of my, uh, my, in my opinion, my reckoning, in my generation. I mean, Charles Cook is right up there with him. Uh, but Kevin Williamson, Kevin Williamson writes the kind of editorials that other people read and say, damn, that's who are in the business. Say, damn, that was good. And he was hired and then fired by the Atlantic because of an offhanded remark he made about uh, those who have abortion, women who have abortions. It wasn't a remark. It was actually a tweet about abortions and how he thinks hanging should be an, a, a, you know, a response to women who have an abortion. Now, he wasn't being serious, but people took that very seriously. Now, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of the discussion there, but just remember, Kevin Williamson was hired and then fired for that, and really just that. And a lot of the left was cheering that, really because they don't want someone like Williamson, who's a real conservative and a better writer than anybody else at the Atlantic, they don't want him there because those are cultural institutions that the left has to dominate to have any prayer of staying in power. Sort of like the New York Times, which now has brought on Sarah Jong. Now, when I tell you that her tweets are abhorrent, uh, I'm, I'm somebody who I think has a pretty, a pretty strong stomach and also gives a lot of leeway and gives maybe too much good faith to people when they're trying to make an argument or a discussion about political ideas. But she writes things in the last few years like dumbass effing white people marking up the Internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Another one here. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Uh, What else do we have here? Uh... I don't, uh, wait, there's, there's so many of these. I'm trying to find just the best. Also, there, a lot of them have, have curses. Here we go. Oh, man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Wow, today is full of white people having feelings about race. Uh, there we go. What else do we have here? Uh, I mean, it, it goes on, folks. It goes on. Um, and, you know, I, I think you get a sense of it. Uh, why do, uh, why no, I don't think cereal is implicitly about white people going all Kool-Aid man into communities of color they knew nothing about. Oof. It goes, there's more. There, there's a lot of this. Uh, so there you have it. You know, I mean, really pretty nasty denigrating stuff and, and not just, she's not making jokes here. She's saying like, I think white people are gross and I don't, you know, I have problems with them. That's what she's saying. It's not funny. It's not meant to be humorous. And she got hired by the New York Times, folks. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, hold on. Hold on a second, Buck. Would the most revered liberal newspaper in the country, some would say the world, hire somebody like that if they knew about it? 
Of course not, Buck. Clearly, when this was unearthed, the New York Times would immediately say, oh, gosh, wow, we didn't know about this. We must have made a mistake, because that's also the standard that the left has set up for other people for much lesser offenses, I would add. I told you the story of Kevin Williamson for, you know, for that purpose. So we all understand that the left will will ruin you over a, a tiny fraction of the offense that you see here in these in these statements. Now, here we have a statement from the New York Times on this issue, released by their communications department. Official statement. Let me read this to you before I tell you why they think this and why they're doing this. We hired Sarah Jong, this is from the New York Times, because of the exceptional work she has done covering the Internet and technology at a range of respected publications. Her journalism and the fact that she is a young Asian woman have made her a subject of frequent online harassment. For a period of time, she responded to that harassment by imitating the rhetoric of her harassers. She sees now that this approach only served to feed the vitriol that we too often see on social media. She regrets it, and the Times does not condone it. We had candid conversations with Sarah as part of our thorough vetting process, which included a review of her social media history, She understands that this type of rhetoric is not acceptable at the times, and we are confident that she'll be an important voice for the editorial board going forward. End quote. So they're not taking any action about her. They knew about this before they hired her, and they don't really give a you-know-what. Wow. Think about this one, my friends. Think about this double, the double standard here on display. Uh, this this notion this is this is just laughable. By the way, laughable that oh she responded to racism with racism. That's novel, uh, folks. Let me tell you, this is a don't try this at home situation. Okay, you, you I promise you will not be allowed to get away with this. Meaning, if somebody calls you a, a racial slur, and, and I know we got people of every ethnicity listening to this show, and you respond with a racial slur, no one's going to say, well, you know, it's fine. Because, you know, the other person started it. Nope. It's not how this is going to work. It's not how this is going to work at all. The New York Times really thinks that's an explanation of this? This isn't some random blog. This is the newspaper with the largest circulation in the country, I believe. It's certainly in the top three. And you know what this really comes down to? Is that, and they, the New York Times won't say this, but others have, who have rallied to the defense of this writer are saying this. It's because there's no such thing as anti-white racism. That's what they believe, that animosity toward white people is not in the same category of racial animus as any other kind. There's a separate category, you see, for I don't like white people. And it's in the that's not great, but it's certainly not racism. This is a this is a widely held belief on the left. It was shown by lots of blue check Twitter, which means verified journalists that you see this stuff. They don't think anti-white racism is a thing. I will explain why they think this in a moment, and then we'll also get onto some more policy stuff. Sarah Huckabee Sanders squaring off with Acosta and teaching him a thing or two. She gave him quite the buck slap today. We're going to talk Russian meddling. We're going to talk China and Taiwan. We, we have uh, emission standards, erasing Obamaism, and what it's going to do for the economy. Oh, man, we got such a show. Stay right there. Can you play five for me, please? I'll put Mr. Burgess up against uh, Sean Hannity. 
They'll tear them up. I need you to go out and talk to your friends and talk to your neighbors. I want you to talk to them whether they're independent or whether they are Republican. I want you to argue with them and get in their face. You know, this whole civility conversation, folks, it didn't start didn't start this week. And those of us who are conservatives have been dealing with incivility for a very long time and a lot of condescension and nastiness for eight years under Obama. It's just the truth. Uh, So we are going to get into this more because of the Acosta Sanders exchange today, which was a really, a really, I think a really profound moment in the, in the discussion of media in this country. And I just want to return for, for a moment though, to this, this, how the left really believes this, by the way, that, that you cannot be racist against white people. That there's no such thing as anti-white racism. And this comes up occasionally because they don't know what to do if there's a hate crime. Because there is, there are sometimes cases where it would be a hate crime against a white person. And they, maybe they prosecute it, but they are always dragging their feet on it. And they, they don't really want to view it that way. And Because you see, the left is, has infected, their, their minds are infected with this notion of intersectionality. Which means that every relationship between every person in society is predicated on a power imbalance. So, you know, whether you're straight or gay, there's a power imbalance. Whether you're white or black or Asian or Latino, or, there are power imbalances. And, and between everybody on that, and there's a hierarchy. And they view white males as at the top of this racism hierarchy, in a sense. And so that means it's impossible. They really view this as, as the case. It is impossibly racist against white people. You can be mean to them in a way you shouldn't be, but it is not the case that you can be held to account for being racist. And that is how the New York Times manages to come up with this, uh, this justification for things. Here we go. There is a I'm trying to find an example of this. Here's one. Uh, this is from a blue check journalist um, I named Joaquim, David Joaquim. Dear white people, racism is about the powerful keeping the powerless down. White people isn't a slur. Your moral equivalence is nonsense. Reverse racism isn't a thing. Well, actually, it is a thing. And if we're going to have a productive conversation about race and all the rest of it in this country right now, politics and everything else, let's start with reality and not what the left conjures up in its place. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Been a tough week for the fake news, everybody. They've been getting battered, rhetorically speaking, of course, um, because people are not not playing their game anymore, not giving in and not bending the knee when they try to uh, exert their influence and pressure. You know, the, the fake news still has a lot of name and shame capacity. They still like to really uh, manipulate and badger and cajole. But some of the folks now, they feel empowered. Trump people aren't going to take it. We're not going to take it, right? Anyway, sorry, side note. Uh, but it, it was it was quite a showdown today. So I've been telling you for a while that Acosta is... He's an Acostaist. The same way that James Comey is a Comeyist, Jim Acosta of CNN is a Acostaist. He's all about Jim Acosta. Which, look, I, I get it. You know, I think he's uh, somebody who 
is is a, a talented at playing the role of journalist speaking truth to power. He doesn't actually speak truth to power as a journalist, but he is talented at, at pretending to be doing that. He's a, he, he looks the part. He sounds the part. Uh, it's just the, the content and the actual actions in his job that I think uh, fail to live up to that. But, you know, he's had this relationship with Sarah Huckabee Sanders where, you know, he, he really goes after her. And I mean, they're they're nasty to her. Uh, and, you know, and, and I, well, she does a better. Like, the good thing about this is that I'm going to play for you. You know, they've made this whole thing about the enemy of the people. Oh, they're calling us the enemy of the people. It's so scary. There's violence against us. And it's like Trump supporters are walking around saying we're the ones that get ridiculed, mocked by 90 percent of the media. 90% of the time, okay? We're the ones that are constantly dealing with being denigrated by people who don't understand their fellow Americans, don't care to understand their fellow Americans, and really just look down on them. And, you know, we've all had enough of it. And we don't, we don't have to live in this... This, this is a make-believe world, folks, that there's this, these big journalistic entities that have no politics, that have no partisanship. That is crap. That is a lie. The New York Times saying it is just a journalistic outfit, that is a lie. The Washington Post saying they're just journalists, that is a lie. Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon saying that they're just journalists, just doing their job, that is a lie. We don't have to, you know, just, oh, because that's the way it's been. No, no, we don't have to deal with that anymore. We don't have to play along and pretend. And now, finally, the tide, I think, is turning here. But Acosta, you know, they're desperately trying to make this, oh, you're being so mean to the press and the enemy of the people, and we can't take it, whatever. Here's how this exchange went, and, and it's going to be, a, I'm going to play the full exchange for you. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a, a moment of our time here, but it's well worth it. Look, I think you're going to be riveted by this exchange. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders delivers a buck slap, or dare I say a huck slap, for the ages. Play 16. She asked you about Ivanka Trump's statement that the press is not the enemy of the people. And she asked you whether or not the press is the enemy of the people. You read off a laundry list of your concerns about the press and and things that you feel like are misreported. But you did not say that the press is not the enemy of the people. And I, I, I think it would be a good thing if you were to say right here, uh, at this briefing, that the press, the people who are gathered in this room right now, uh, doing their jobs every day, asking questions of officials like the ones you brought forward earlier, are not the enemy of the people. I, I think we we deserve that. I think the president has made his position known. I also think it's ironic. Telling us, I'm, I'm trying to answer your question. Okay, well, I, I politely waited, and I even called on you despite the fact that you interrupted me. Move there. Oh, no, calling on your colleague. I said it's ironic. Which is why I interrupted. I'm trying. Wait, you, pa- pause for one that. second. Pause this for one second. Notice, notice how even in this, Acosta's being a little punk. Disrespectful. Did you ever see anybody acting this way with the, with Obama's press secretaries? You want to see, see anybody just immediately say, beep, 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 jumping on them like they're cross-examining a, a hostile witness in a trial? Forget about mansplaining. This is Acosta, this is Acosta splaining. But you won't see any of the feminists saying, oh, look at how he mansplains to her because, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, to feminists, does not count as female somehow. Because, you know, she doesn't buy into all their postmodernist feminist (sighs) claptrap. But it gets a lot better. Play it. You would not mind letting me have a follow-up. That would be fine. It's ironic, Jim, 
that not only you and the media attack the president for his rhetoric uh, when they frequently lower the level of conversation in this country. Repeatedly, repeatedly, the media resorts to personal attacks without any content other than to incite anger. Uh, the media has attacked me personally on a number of occasions, including your own network, said I should be harassed as a life sentence, that I should be choked. ICE officials are not welcomed in their place of worship and personal information is shared on the Internet. When I was hosted by the Correspondents Association, of which almost all of you are members of, you brought a comedian up to attack my appearance and call me a traitor to my own gender. In fact, as I know, um, I'm the, as far as I know, I'm the first press secretary in the history of the United States that's required Secret Service protection. The media continues to ratchet up the verbal assault against the president and everyone in this administration. And certainly we have a role to play, but the media has a role to play for the discourse in this country as well. CNN and those like them have created that environment. This is the result of their lies. This is the result of their hyper-partisanship, their crybaby antics, their unwillingness to accept that Hillary was a crap candidate, that she was a dishonest criminal, that she never should have been president, that there was a catastrophe that they tried to foist upon us that we by a miracle avoided. And now they won't give it up. They won't move on. They can't deal with it. And so they've created this environment where Trump is a fascist and Trump is Hitler and they should chase people and get up in their faces and and tell them how terrible they are and hashtag resistance. And give me one conservative who has a who's a prominent figure with a, with a prominent following who's a Trump supporter who backs this administration, who goes on CNN regularly, who is treated with any respect by that network. None. None. They have a bunch of third-tier former conservative hacks who are just, yeah, Trump is not civil enough. Hey, he's not civil enough. That's great, because the Democrats are so civil. I'm a 15-minute drive from the baseball diamond where a Bernie bro tried to assassinate a number of members of Congress and specifically went after them because they were particularly conservative. So so the environment is such that right now we have to suffer the attempted assassinations where Steve Scalise was was hanging on barely to his life and had to go through an incredibly painful and difficult ordeal to get back up on his feet. We have to suffer that. While Jim Acosta thinks that he's some kind of a martyr because people aren't always nice to him when he attacks them in the White House press room or because Trump calls him out and says that he's fake news. They are fake news. They have been running with this Russia collusion garbage for over a year. It's a lie, folks. There was no collusion. They're crybabies. They didn't get the candidate they wanted to win the election, and they won't stop lying about it. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders like, you know, I've just had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough of these unfunny, disgusting, snide, so-called comedians who all they do is make jokes and nasty remarks, not even jokes, about Trump and Trump's people all the time. This is comedy for morons. This is comedy for people who actually can't write comedy. But they know that they're hashtag resistance and they're all buddies with each other and they'll take care of each other and they'll get the jobs that get them paid even if they suck and their ratings are terrible. They hold on to these legacy institutions. You could put you could put 50 different comedians in the slot where Stephen Colbert is, and guess what? There'd be people watching, and, you know. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have it because he's the best. He has it because the people that make the decisions, who are liberals, like him. 
Same thing is true of Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. Same thing is true of every anchor at CNN, by the way. And so Sarah Huckabee Sanders is like, I've just had enough of this. I've enough of, of Acosta, who, by the way, hasn't been chased out of any restaurants. In fact, I think we all know that he probably gets standing ovations here in D.C. I'm unfortunately in the swamp, one of the most liberal cities in the country. I think by political affiliation, it's the second most liberal after San Francisco. So I am in the belly of the beast now more than ever, more so than even in New York City. I thought I was used to it here. I'm telling you, this place is, it's just polluted with progressivism, with a zealotry that allows them to push aside in their mind without a second thought, any decency, manners, willingness to hear the other side. It is a disgrace. I would not set foot in CNN right now. I would not accept work from CNN. I would not be willing to go over there and discuss with them in a civil fashion or anything because I think they are a problem. And that's not new. I felt this way for quite a while. But now at least it's finally coming out. Now at least we finally see that there are people who are willing to say this and not suffer in silence. I have to say, it, it, it is troubling sometimes to see how uh, even other conservatives... Will will kind of run for the you know run for the exits when people from some of the big networks call them out or when you know they 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 still kind of want to be liked by them. And I've got to tell you one of my one of my favorite tweets of all time. God bless him, Sean Hannity. One of my favorite tweets from from any human being ever was this one from last night. Jimmy Acosta, sorry your precious feelings are hurt. And that people see through your lying BS for what it is. Fake news. CNN sucks. Thank you, Sean, for saying it. You see, Sean can say it because Sean has the number one cable show on cable, period. And obviously he has a huge radio show. He's on before you know this show on premiere. So a lot of you probably just listened to him before he came on. Uh, but for a lot of other folks, they're, they they would worry. You know, they would never they wouldn't be willing to say this because they'll be shunned. They won't get that job at CNN in a couple of years, or they won't be hired to be a political panelist at ABC. Or remember, they all they they're all connected, folks. You know, Anderson Cooper's uh, I think he's a sixty Minutes correspondent at CBS, and they they're all talking. They're all buddy buddy. They all know each other. It's like a little left wing fake news mafia that controls all these different all these different networks, all the non Fox networks. Now, finally, there is a, a moment of, of real honesty on this subject, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders just wiped the floor with him. But, you know, you know what's amazing? Acosta wasn't done, folks. He is so delusional and so self-involved that he figured, oh, let's, go, let's go back for more. Play 17. If I may follow up, excuse me, you did not say in the course of those remarks that you just made that the press is not the enemy of the people. Are we to take it? From what you just said, we all get put through the ringer. We all get put in the meat grinder in this town, and you're no exception. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. I wish that that, that had not happened. He's but not sorry. For, for the sake of this, this room, the people who are in this room, this democracy, this country, all the people around the world are watching what you're saying, Sarah, and the White House for the United States of America, the President of the United States should not refer to us as the enemy of the people. His own daughter acknowledges that, and all I'm asking you to do, Sarah, is to acknowledge that right now and right here. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. Um, I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. I'm here to speak on behalf of the President. He's made his comments clear. Yeah, Sarah, why can't you contradict the president who you work for and who you speak on behalf of? Why won't you contradict him? Can't you contradict him? Please contradict him, Sarah. 
you know, she's not she's not an idiot, Acosta. We all know what the headline would be if she said, well, I don't think the press. The, oh, White House press secretary undermines president of the United States. Fire, fire, fire. That's what they'd be saying. Because they're they are dishonest, snide, insecure little cowards. That's what they are. They stay in their little privileged network perches. They occasionally snipe at people on Twitter and they are cowards. They don't go out and make the case publicly. They won't be honest about who they are. Sarah Sanders calls them out. Thank God Sean Hannity calls them out. There are some others who are willing to speak. President Trump calls them out. <sighs> it's like the dawning of a new day now. Finally, this, this era of lies may start to come to an end. This era of the, the great lie of the, of the fake news media that they are just, they're just there to present you with the facts. No, they are not. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Team, we are, we are just getting started. We have a lot more show. We'll be right back. Right now, there is no government official here, but I'll say uh, that the press is not the enemy of the people. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe we should uh, make some bumper stickers, uh, make some buttons. Uh, you know, maybe we should go out on Pennsylvania Avenue uh, like these folks who chant CNN sucks and uh, fake news. <laughs> maybe we should go out. All, all journalists should go out on Pennsylvania Avenue and chant. We're not the enemy of the people because uh, I, I'm tired of this. Honestly, Brooke, I'm tired of this. Um, it's it is not right. It is not fair. It is not just. It is un-American to come out here and call the press the enemy of the people. And Ivanka Trump knows that. I don't know why her father doesn't. And I don't know why this press secretary doesn't. I mean, she got yelled at at a restaurant in Virginia. I'm sorry about that. I feel badly for her that that happened. Uh, and that no, a comedian at a correspondence center said some unpleasant things about her. I'm Wait, sorry pause for one second. They she all laughed. The they all laughed at that correspondence dinner, okay? They all laughed. Liberals the next day were defending it and saying it was funny. They they essentially uh, made jokes about her being a lesbian. They shamed her appearance. They said she wasn't really a woman. I mean, it was it was horrible. Okay, this is a White House official. This is our government, the United States government, and they weren't joking with her. They were ridiculing her to her face at a media event put on by the White House Correspondents Association. The same group of losers. That are the ones that decide who sits where in that White House press briefing room. Continue. Or is that the end of the clip? Not the end of the clip. Right now, there is no there government go. official here, but I'll say. Oh no, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, Pause. We are. Yeah, yeah. I, I got so fired up that I forgot that we actually were at the end of the clip. Um, all, all, all about Acosta all the time, folks. That's the way they. That's the way they do things. Um, I. Uh, I want to note that the president has has added a level of uh, of clarity here. He tweeted out just a few hours ago. They asked my daughter Ivanka whether or not the media is the enemy of the people. She correctly said no. It is the fake news, which is a large percentage of the media that is the enemy of the people. I will also note that uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who's coming on Rising uh, tomorrow, um, just said, I saw this on Dana uh, on Dana's show, uh, Dinesh D'Souza just said on radio that uh, that the fake news is the enemy of truth. Who does that sound like? I'm just saying. I'm not saying that he heard me say it, but I'm just saying great minds think alike. So, yeah, I know. That one's going to... Watch, that's going to catch on now. Now now that Dinesh has called CNN the enemy of truth, 
Now you're like, oh, well, it's the enemy of truth. I'm like, wait, but Buck's been yelling that stuff for months. Uh, it's all right. When the Freedom Hut becomes a Freedom Hacienda, then everything will then everything will change, folks. And you you are the key in that process. So thank you very much. Uh, we got to talk about some national security stuff, including Russian meddling, and later on China and Taiwan. That's coming up. Look, hiring is tough, right? It's very competitive right now. You got to move fast. You want to get to the best people, and you don't want to waste a lot of time. But a place where growing businesses can go to connect with the most qualified candidates is. ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, and you'll see for yourself. You can use a free trial there. It'll connect you to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. It doesn't stop there. They have a powerful matching technology that will make sure that the thousands of resumes that you get access to will be scanned through so you'll get exactly the right people with the right experience for your job search. Folks, we used ZipRecruiter here. I used it to hire people for thehill.com, and we've gotten great hires. These are now my colleagues and friends, and they came courtesy of ZipRecruiter. Try for yourself. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, totally free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton for this exclusive offer. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, the smartest way to hire. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The community continues to be concerned about the threats of upcoming U.S. elections, both the midterms and the presidential elections of 2020. In regards to Russian involvement in the midterm elections, we continue to see a pervasive messaging, messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States. These efforts are not exclusive to this election or future elections, but certainly cover issues relevant to the election. We are aware that Russia is not the only country that has an interest in trying to influence our domestic political environment. We know there are others that who have the capability and may be considering influence activities. Relative to uh, what we have seen for the midterm elections, uh, it is not the kind of robust campaign that we assessed in the 2016 election. We know that through decades, Russia has tried to use its propaganda and methods to uh, so discord uh, in America. However, they stepped up their game big time in 2016. We have not seen that kind of robust effort from them so far. Uh, as I mentioned uh, publicly uh, sometime, just a few weeks ago, we're only one keyboard click away from finding out something that we don't haven't seen up to this particular point in time. But right now we have not seen that. Russian meddling. Oh, my. Do we have some Russian music on the board? I always love when we throw that in there. It really sets the scene. You know what I mean? I think we do. Brandon, if you, if you get it, play it for me. We always love some of our Russian tunes in the background. Really lets us know what's going on. So here we are. We get the direct. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, there we I heard a little bit. There we go. That's actually the commie bear intro. We'll have to get to that another time. Yeah, it's close enough. It's close enough. Um, so uh, here's, here's what I see going on here. 
uh, the director of national intelligence, in order to avert what you know is going to be a another round of, oh my gosh, Russia, the elections, oh my gosh, especially if the Democrats don't take the House, folks, I guarantee you there are people who are going to bring up Russian meddling this time too. You see, they're so convinced of this. Yep, producer Mike knows. They're so convinced of this that they think that all they have to do is is just every time they lose an election now, they can retreat into this little safe space of, well, you know, Russia. It's not that the American people prefer a president who is trying to push for prosperity, who is putting the interests of the American people ahead of the interests of the rest of the globe, whatever that means, uh, who doesn't speak down to Americans, who is trying to inspire uh, a, a, a stronger future for the American people. Um, it, th- that, that's, you know, that's all the stuff that can't be possibly affecting the election outcome. It, it must be Russia, they will tell you. It must be Russia. And so they've got all these officials out there making the case that we're on it. We're, we're paying attention to this meddling. I, I promise you, you know, you've got National Security Advisor Bolton uh, making the same kind of statements. Play 19. Since January 2017, the president has taken decisive action to defend our election systems from meddling and interference. This includes measures to heighten the security and resilience of election systems and processes, to confront Russian and other foreign malign influence in the United States, to confront such aggression through international action, uh, and to reinforce a strong sanctions regime. As you know, elections are administered uh, by state and local governments, so the federal role is to assist them. We'll be addressing that through the comments of the heads of the operating agencies. Uh, I might also say, by way of introduction, that many federal government actions to protect elections in the United States, such as those implemented by the intelligence community or law enforcement agencies, are necessarily sensitive and highly classified. We do not wish to make the efforts of our adversaries any easier through injudicious public disclosures. <sighs> so they're telling you they're on it, folks. They're telling you, look, uh, we, we are aware. We are aware of the fact that there are still these Russian meddling efforts. So if you see some some guy, you know, writing in Cyrillic on your Facebook page about like, maybe you should vote for Hillary, like it, it's. You know, lock her up, says cousin Yuri. Like whatever it is, they're on it. All right, like they're aware of it, and I still to this day I'm amazed at how many otherwise sensible people I know that seem to be believers in this notion that the Russians are so effective in propaganda that they can do what our own media apparatus has so much trouble doing, which is change the minds of somebody that are already going to vote one way or the other. And you could say, well, Buck, that's not what they're doing. They must have been switching independence. Really? You think that they're getting independence to to, to sway one way or the other with lock her up chants or with you know the, this, the kinds of internet campaigns that we've discussed the Russians being involved in so far? I just, I just don't buy it also not new if you ever really want to have some fun okay this is going to sound so nerdy and i've just realized that but i was going to say go back and read some of the parts of the matrokin archive which is the kgb's archives that we have access to because of the fall of the wall 
The Sword and the Shield is the first volume. The second volume is The World Was Going Our Way. You can read in the Matrokin archive about the kinds of influence operations that the Soviets used to do. And what you'll notice is, one, the Soviet line for decades in this country uh, was very close to what the left wing of the Democratic Party wanted on a whole host of issues. The American Communist Party, which, fun fact, uh, Bill Browder, who is involved, he was the one that pushed for the Magnitsky Act and had this showdown with Putin over the Russian funds, wrote Red Notice. Browder's uh, grandfather, I believe, was the uh, candidate for the, I think he was a presidential candidate for the American Communist Party at one point. But anyway, that's just a fun fact. The Communist Party America, Communist Party USA was a real thing. There were fellow travelers in this country. There were penetration efforts that were very successful of the United States government, and they were leftists that they were targeting. It was leftists who sold out this country for decades to the Soviets, giving them everything up to and including nuclear secrets, folks. And it was leftist newspapers that were willing to tow this, the pro-Soviet line, and it was newspapers like the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, it was newspapers that you know very well that covered up for the excesses of the Soviet Union. A nice way of saying covered up for the Soviet Union's genocide because they did not want uh, they did not want the people in this country to know the truth. It was, in fact, the New York Times. You want to talk about fake news? Walter Durante of the New York Times covered up the intentional starvation, the mass-induced famine in Ukraine. You know why? Because he didn't want Americans to know how bad the Soviet Union really was, how how cruel and heartless and sadistic the commies were. So that's right. The bureau chief, the Moscow bureau chief of the New York Times, lied fake so there's a long and storied history of ideologically driven fake news at the new york times and at other news publications that still exist today if you want to talk about the history of kgb and soviet influence operations in this country you will be looking at a long list of incidents in which the the weak underbelly the soft underbelly of the united states during the cold war was liberals and particularly liberal academics and, and journalists. They were the ones that the Soviets could most count on for decades and decades. And now we're to believe that you know, the, the Russians have, the Russians are practically running the NRA. I mean, they're just, they're saying all this crazy stuff with no bearing really on, on reality. And they're not backing off of it at all. So we have to go through this whole, okay, the DNI and others, they're going to tell us, oh, no, don't worry. We're on it. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that, you know, they're not hacking into our election systems. I mean, you know, election security is a state by is really a state by state issue. And think about the precision with which the Russians at this point would have to. It's one thing. There's the propaganda campaigns and then there's the actual cyber attack stuff. And you need to separate those two things. Propaganda. There's almost nothing we can do to stop. And anyone who tells you otherwise doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. All right. The we're going to stop people from sharing things on Facebook and Facebook is going to target via algorithmic censorship is going to target these Russian influence campaigns such that they won't be able to influence Amer- any Americans at all. That's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. Facebook can try, fine, but we are 
we are chasing a minor problem with massive responses and that's not a good thing uh, but that's where we are and now everyone because we, we want to restore some faith in you know the federal bureaucracy that handles national security we want people to believe that they are making sure that the sanctity of our democracy is upheld and all this other stuff you know this was an attack on our democracy i hear people say this all the time what what does that even mean an attack on our democracy you know i, I just on the propaganda front, before I get to the cyber hacking stuff, understand this. If we had, if the New York Times had information that was very, very damaging about Putin's corruption, while Putin was running for, and I know that, you know, there's thuggery and he doesn't, he, he jails the opposition and he kills journalists, and I'm more aware of that than a lot of the people who go on TV talking about it, okay? But uh, would the New York Times hold that information or publish it? Because if they published it, and let's say it was derived by, you know, a, a source, but maybe through illegal means, they don't know. If they published it, put it on the World Wide Web, the Internet, before that election, would we be, would we be meddling in, in Putin's election? Would we be meddling in foreign, in foreign territory? This happens all the time. We now live in a global information marketplace. Every one of us has connectivity to what anyone else in the world is doing and saying on the Internet. It's incredible. It's changed humanity in a lot of ways for the better and a lot of ways for the worse. But that is the reality we live in now. This this conception that the Democrats, I suppose, either believe or at least pretend to believe that we can silo off our political conversation entirely from the rest of the world is complete nonsense. It's total garbage. And one thing that the fake news in this country doesn't seem to understand or is unwilling to understand is that we, they, they are they are propagating a lie all the time, that they are the neutral press, that they're just neutral referees of the truth in what's going on day to day in this country, that their editorial lines are not influenced by their, or editorial judgment is not influenced by their political beliefs. We see that as lies all the time. So that's why we don't get as terrified by the notion of some Russian sock puppets sending some stuff to our friends in a chain email or on Facebook or whatever, because I think the New York Times is lying to me. I think the New York Times is being dishonest, maybe not about the facts, but in their presentation of the facts and their context offered for the facts and in the way that they approach different narratives, although sometimes in the facts, too. So I'm much more willing to live in a world of uncertainty and dishonesty because I recognize that's the world we already live in here at home. Never mind what goes on abroad. You know, yeah, the Internet's the Wild West, folks. And, and we, we need to get past this, this myth that's being propagated by the Hillary should have won media. But there's a way to make the Internet safe and warm and friendly and only the truth, only the truth on the Internet. That's never going to happen. And it's not happening now. And what you recognize and I recognize is that the people who are telling you they just want the truth on the Internet have lied to you over and over and over again. And this is the fundamental philosophical disconnect between those who support Trump and this movement and the fake news and all the rest. This is where we just we've got a hundred miles of daylight between us. And. It's not going to change anytime soon. So we can worry about the cyber hacking, we can worry about all this stuff, but at the end of the day, 
There's very little we can do about it, but it matters very little as well. And that's what I think you, you will not you will not get that from the uh, the fake news. You will not hear enough about that on the fake news front. Um, I maybe we'll take some call. We had a bunch of calls coming in last hour, and I didn't get a chance to get to them. So sorry, I got a little fired up there. But uh, we can probably get some calls coming up here this hour. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five eight four four nine hundred Beck. Oh my gosh, Buck, not Beck. I used to fill in for Glenn sometimes. Occasionally, that I, I have I have said the wrong. I've said Rush's number on air. I've said Glenn's number on air. It's what happens when you fill in enough. Eight four four nine hundred Buck B U C K. Be right back. The folks who listen to this show love dogs. That much I know for sure. And whether you've got a Papillon or a Rhodesian Ridgeback, whether you're into poodles or bull mastiffs, you know that your dog can dig. Digging can be a problem, right? And in your yard, you've got a fence around it, I'm sure, but guess what? The dog can get under that fence. If you are sick of that problem, if you don't want to have to deal with it ever again, I have a solution for you. Forget about trying bricks, wood, or concrete. Go with Dig Defense. It is genius. It extends the protection of your fence underground. You install it at the base of any fence. It will protect your pet and your property. Easy to install, folks. No more chasing Fido around the yard. You can make sure that it's all good with Dig Defense. It's available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. And now for the month of July, visit StopTheDig.com and use promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com, promo code BUCK for 10% off. U.S. Steel is opening up seven plants. Nucor is opening up a brand new $250 million plant in Florida. Just left Florida. Did anybody like that one? Wasn't that great? This is live in Pennsylvania right now, folks. That was another one. That was another one. They say the Republicans are going to have a hard time winning Florida. We won Florida quickly. They announced that one early in the night. And we're doing better. The nice part... We're doing better in all of these states than we did on election night. Much better. Despite only negative publicity, only negative stories from the fakers back there. <laughs> He's amazing. He's the best. I go home, I see my wife, I said, honey, we're going to get the greatest. I just did something so great today. You know? I just stopped missiles from being launched every two seconds in Korea. Baby, what I did with North Korea was great. I got along great with Chairman Kim. I got along great. That's a good thing, not a bad thing, by the way. I got along great. And you know what, baby, I got, I got the hostages back. I didn't have to pay anything. Baby, I got the hostages back, man. This guy's going you know for what, it. And you honey? They're not testing any more nuclear. They haven't had a test in nine months. And you know what else? They're not sending rockets over Japan, and they're not sending missiles over Japan, and they're not launching missiles anymore. They haven't launched one in nine months. I said, oh, the media is going to treat me finally so good. So good. I mean, it's going to be so great, baby. I'm looking so forward. 
to getting up tomorrow and reading those dying papers. And what do I read? What do I read? So I left three months ago. What do I read? They've been working on this stuff for 75 years. Obama didn't do anything. In all fairness, other administrations did nothing. They've been working on it for so many decades. What do I read? I left three months ago. Donald Trump isn't moving fast enough. People I'm not moving fast enough. Oh boy, what a, what a group. What a group. You know, another one. In Helsinki, I had a great meeting with Putin. We discussed everything. I had a great meeting. I had a great meeting. We got along really well. By the way, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. Now, we're being hindered by the Russian hoax. It's a hoax, okay? It is a hoax. I'll tell you what, Russia's very unhappy that Trump won, that I can tell you. But ah, I yeah, because of Trump's policies. It. Folks, we got to run into a quick, uh, quick pause here, get some, uh, get, hear from some of our wonderful sponsors. We'll be right back with much more. Stay with me. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. We got Gunner in Rhode Island on the line. Gunner, even cooler name than Buck. How you doing? Dude, dude, you got to let it rip like that more often, man. I was cheering you in the middle of traffic here in Boston going, yeah. Well, thank you. I got a little fired up today. I'm, I've really had, I've had enough of CNN. I mean, I'm, I, I, I am not. I'm not deal I'm not abiding the dude will not abide anymore. Yeah, you got to start selling CNN sucks t-shirts on the on your your website there. We we may but, have dis- uh, we may have actually discussed that in a break on the show today. Me me Mike and uh, and Brandon. So. I think it would be a be- I think it would be a bestseller. Look, you know they they yes. they won't bend the knee on this because they think their whole brand is neutral news source and they're just delusional. They're delusional. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and, I got wings. Yeah, we exactly. We we got if we keep the pressure on with this one, eventually the full because they can't win this argument. They can't put anybody up from there. What are they going to put Cuomo on? I think Cuomo, bro, Cuomo. I think he had a didn't he do some conspiracy thing last night about Canaan or QAnon? Uh, we'll see if we can grab that one. But these guys are all full of it, man. It's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. That, hey, uh, movie quote for tonight. You, oh, all right. I thought you were. I thought you were channeling Lieutenant Colonel Slade from Sense of the Woman. You know, he's up on the stage. He's going, if I was a younger man, I'd have taken a flamethrower to this place. There you, there you go. And, yeah, that is the that is the best part of that movie. The rest of the movie is kind of slow, in my opinion, but that is the best part of the movie. Yeah. So, hey, man, yeah. Gunner, good, good you, to talk I, to you, brother. Shields High, thank you so much for listening up in, uh, up in the Boston area. I think he's in Providence, Rhode Island. Providence. Uh, indeed. Where were we? Oh yes, the man of the Manafort trial. Now I have thought, my friends, for some time that this was probably a foregone conclusion. The likelihood of a conviction once federal prosecutors bring a charge is overwhelming. It's over ninety percent. 
and they have a lot of advantages. In fact, it's you're generally much better off to be criminally charged by this by a state than by the federal government because the feds have uh, mandatory minimums and no parole. Uh, and there's also, I believe, some evidentiary rules at the federal level that are a little more skewed toward the government. Than, but that don't quote me on that one. Uh, but I, I'd assume that this is pretty straightforward with Manafort, that he's they're coming after him on taxes. He didn't pay taxes and they're going to really make an example of him. And this is a, a scapegoat situation. They're going to make an example of Manafort, not because he's so evil and has ripped off or ruined so many people or anything like that or because he's a threat to America. They're doing it because they think that by feeding somebody to the liberal delusion crocodile, perhaps it will go away for a while. And and Manafort is the best they can offer up right now. Uh, somebody who ha- had worked for other presidents, uh, had done some shady political consulting. And I think if you were to really line up Manafort and, for example, Tony Podesta, who has also been referred, according to reports this week, to the Southern District of New York, uh, brother of John Podesta, Hillary's closest confidant, or maybe after Huma, uh, you'd see that shady stuff with these, especially these international political consultants, is not unusual. I think you could say that. But Manafort, I, I, I had figured, and perhaps, I still think he's probably toast. I still think they're going to get him. But I'm seeing some stuff today. And Producer Mike, are you seeing this too, where... This isn't looking like a slam dunk. The judge is saying that, uh, you know, the, the judge is saying that it, without their star witness, who would be Gates, his partner, they might not be able to prove the conspiracy aspect of this. So they might have to call Gates as a witness. Uh, the judge has slapped them down for, I mean, the ostrich coat thing was kind of funny. It, it is amazing, as an aside, that anybody would spend $15,000 on anything so ugly. Uh, but, you know, to each his own. Uh, and the judge slapped him down for that. I mean, Mike, I'm seeing people say that this it's not falling apart, but it's not as much it's not looking as much of a slam dunk against Manafort as initially indicated. But what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think if this falls apart, I mean, there's going to be a whole lot of people losing trust in Mueller real quick. Yeah. What's that all about? dude? This is supposed to be the one. This is the only American that they are offering up to us as. He's really bad and done. Remember, all the other prosecutions are either Russian Facebook trolls or people lying under very hostile circumstances in perjury traps set by Mur- uh, Mueller and his team. Okay, those are the only the, 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 oh, look at the 30 or 100, a bajillion criminal charges. They always talk about all the criminal charges. Right. But this is the only one where there's somebody who's actually committed crime crimes, you know, crimes that people pay some attention to. Remember, we're not talking about like, you know selling orphans into slavery here. I mean, we're talking about a a guy who is cheating on his taxes. You know, he's not the worst the worst scum you've ever heard of. Um, but Mike, I got to say uh this some, something's up here. You know, m- maybe maybe the prosecution will come but but Judge Ellis had said that uh, they think that, that he thinks this trial's going to end a lot quicker than people anticipated. Now, I know neither you or I are lawyers, but it's fun for us to pretend on radio. That just strikes me as it's obviously surprising because that's not what everybody thought. And that doesn't sound like it's good for the prosecution. What happens if the prosecution only gets them on like one charge, by the way, of all these charges? There, then we're going to hear that this was all worth it? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Oh, you know who's good on this one? We got Newt, the Newtster. Newt's been lately, he's been kind of a favorite 
audio guest in the Freedom Hut. The Newtzer's been really lighting it up. Play seven, please. Imagine you're the president. You're looking out here and you're saying, let me get this straight. The FBI lied to the FISA court judge. The CIA may have deliberately set up the FBI. And I got an attorney general who doesn't have uh, the, the toughness needed to start cleaning out the snake pit. And by the way, notice what the trial's about. They're not going after Manafort for collusion with Russia. Mm -hmm. They're going after Manafort on things like taxes. This is exactly what independent counsels do. They can't solve the case they were hired for, so they invent a case. And I'll tell you, if Manafort wins this, and there's a good chance he will, I think Mueller is going to look like a fool. And I think the whole country is going to shrug off everything else that Mueller does at that time. That, I, I agree with that. I, I don't, I'm not as far along the line as Newt is there with, you know, look, he didn't say Manafort's going to win, but just, I, I still think Manafort's in a lot of trouble because the prosecutors, they got the bank trails that, you know, he either paid the taxes or he didn't. But if for some reason this thing, remember Blagojevich, I, I can't remember exactly, Blagojevich, they nailed him the second time, but the first time, I think they only got him on like one charge or so. It was, you know, everyone thought that Blagojevich was completely toast, and then it actually was more complicated than that. So you never really know. You know, things could happen in a, in a courtroom that, that will uh, surprise you. But if Manafort, for some reason, is found not guilty of these charges, one, the media is going to go completely bonkers, which will be so fun to watch. And two, uh, what does that say about Mueller? What does it say about Mueller's judgment? What does it say about all of the other indictments that he's brought? You know, they're fighting discovery about these Russian companies that are named. They don't want to release any information on that. So we are, folks, we, we, and that's not going to change. So we're being told, despite what we found out about people like Strzok at the FBI and Brennan at the CIA and others, despite the obvious politicization and bias, we're being told, oh, on this Mueller probe stuff, just trust. Just trust Mueller and his squad of Democrats that they're not stacking the deck or playing any games against Trump. You just have to trust them. They're not going to present evidence to you. Just trust them. I have a hard time with that. I'm not in a particularly trusting mood when it comes to politi politically sensitive DOJ investigations and prosecutions right now. I'm just not willing to kind of throw the benefit of the doubt of them uh, to them these days. And I don't think that makes me a bad guy. I think that's a pretty clear circumstance, um, given what we've seen, given everything else that's going on. So this this could be something of a shock. This could be a bit, a bit different. Uh, and then you just have the, the overall question of the legitimacy of, or, or lack thereof, of the Mueller probe. And here is Doe, uh, Doe, Joe, is it DeGenova or DeGenova? I think it's DeGenova. Brandon, uh, you're, Brandon's about as Italian as I am, I think. Brandon, what do we think? Dege I think it's DeGenova. DeGenova, eh, DeGenova. Right? Like, if, a, if, if you were going down to get some homemade pasta at DeGenova's, you'd feel like that was correct, you know? If you were going down to Sexton's for pasta, you'd be like, why is Sexton making pasta? It doesn't make sense. Uh, but all right, play clip six, please. The Mueller investigation is illegitimate in the sense that Rod Rosenstein should have never appointed Mueller, who had a conflict of interest. He approved one of the FISA warrants. 
The president should not be interviewed by these people. It's a perjury trap, even though the president cannot be indicted for anything. The problem is this is an effort to use the grand jury process for impeachment purposes. That is an unconstitutional use of the grand jury, and they should fight it. If the president refuses to testify, and if Bob Mueller issues a subpoena, the president will win in the Supreme Court. It's just, it's unacceptable to allow the president to waste his time and to play into this phony game that Mueller is playing. Totally agree. It's DeGeneva, by the way, as I've just been told by, by producer Mike knows, because he's from Philly. I, I, I'm from New York. A lot of Italians in New York, too. I should, I should have known that one. But uh, anyway, I agree with his analysis, absolutely. And, and just so you know, we've got the breaking news here of Giuliani, who... Are we allowed to announce what's going on tomorrow, or is that is that not a... Oh, okay, no, forget that. Forget I said anything, folks. Giuliani, who you may be hearing tomorrow in some, on some, in some stuff, on some places, uh, but Giuliani is saying that Trump will talk with Mueller within 10 days, according to TheHill.com, where I work, uh, and it'll be a limited scope, but that's going to be that... that face-off, that showdown that we've been waiting for for a long time. Sounds like it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. You know, I really do want, I want this Mueller probe over. I don't find the story that interesting anymore. I don't find, I, I don't find it, I've never found this cute or funny or worthwhile or anything. I think it drags the country down into the abyss of nonsense. I think it's just the leftist tantrum being turned into an investigation. And there's other things I want to focus on, other fights to have, including, by the way, once this is cleared up, remember who the president is, Trump. We can probably find out a, a whole lot more about what's really going on in the executive branch. And they won't be able to yell, obstruction, obstruction, all the time. You'll notice that today, the people who know things were like, no, his tweets are not obstruction. The people who were idiots were like, oh, his tweets are obstruction. No, they're not. They're not obstruction. And even people who hate Trump were willing to admit that. But there were so many imbeciles immediately. Oh, it's obstruction. Yeah, that's right. The pre- Now you got him because of his tweet. People have really lost their minds. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, light up those lines, team. We will be right back. Hey, team, for all you out there who are hiring, if you work in HR, if you're the manager or owner of your business, you're just trying to bring somebody on to your team, you really want to check out Global Verification because you need to know who you're going to be bringing into the fold And you want that work done quickly. If you want the best background investigation and vetting company out there, you want Global Verification Network. All right. They're the only dual certified and veteran owned background investigator out there. And they're headquartered in Chicago. The risk mitigation experts will work with any size business. If you're a startup all the way up to a Fortune 100 company. All right. They do not offshore any client information. They do not offshore any data. All employees of this veteran-owned company are here in the United States. This is who you want doing your background checks, folks. This is who you want to vet. Uh, Go to MyGVN.com. That's MyGVN.com or call 877-695-1179. He has his people at his rally that look for the number 17 as signs of truth. Q is the 17th letter in the alphabet. Not that that helps make any sense of its significance to them. And they see Trump uh, tweeting something like this. 17 angry Democrats. 
they take value in the number 17, a potential sign. I hope he didn't use that number for them. He hasn't always used the number 17. <laughs> Bro Cuomo going full conspiracy. Producer Mike, what the heck is Bro Cuomo talking about? Did, did he take a little too much, you know, a, a little too much weight gain, a little too much uh, protein powder? What's going on here? I don't even think he knows what he's talking about. He's like, bro, I've been lifting so much, I'm not sure all the blood's rushing to my head. Conspiracies? What is he even talking about here? <laughs> Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet. 17 is Q. Q17. I mean, this is up there with like, not six, seven. Seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch. Coming to my office. Some of you want movie quotes, you get movie quotes. It's actually stepping into my office, but there you go. Uh, anyway, man, I'm, I'm CNN's CNN's a wild place. What can I tell you? A lot of things, a lot of things going on over there these days. Oh, do we have time for the abolish ice lady? Well, who's she running? Mike, what, what office is, who is Zeph? Wait, Zephyr teach out. Is that her name? That is her name. That's her name. Mm-hmm. I mean, my name is Buck Sexton, but Zephyr teach out for real. All right. Well, she's running for what? Uh, attorney general, I believe in Pennsylvania, but I will find out and let you know for sure. Well, I just, this is, uh, this is somebody who's running to be a law enforcement, a senior law enforcement officer, folks, the attorney general of let's, we'll figure out the state in a second. Her name is Zephyr Teachout, which is unusual. Look, I don't make fun of names because names are, my name is weird. What, what is it? Is it, is that right though? It, it was, uh, it's a New York, uh, general attorney general candidate. She's an attorney general candidate for the state of New York. Wow. Uh, Play clip eight. ICE has to be abolished. And I say that as somebody who's running for one of the top law enforcement jobs in the country. I have so much to say about ICE. Let me think about it quickly. Um, I think it's critical that law enforcement speak out and say, this is a tool of cruelty, unconstitutional behavior, illegality there's so much wrong with ice that goes to its very structure the idea that people are illegal the idea that we should see immigrants as a national security threat and that ice should be placed under the department of homeland security by the way the area where the president has the greatest authority to do the most damage just does not make any sense. ICE was born in xenophobia in the time after. Oh my God! This woman is a is a loon. A tool of fear and illegality. A and total as loon. General, I will continue to speak out against ICE. I will prosecute ICE for their criminal acts. Oh, there we go. All right. So that this is you've gone peak liberal now, folks. Where you have somebody who wants to be the attorney general. She wants to prosecute federal law enforcement officers for doing their jobs. There's your Democrat Party. We got Raheem Kassam joining us in a moment here, folks. Stay with us for that. You know, the FBI says home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. And I'm telling you guys, I've had my credit card stolen. That's bad. This is way worse, okay? When an identity thief takes control of your home's title, you are in for a world of hurt and a tremendous amount of expense. This is all done online, folks, okay? They don't have to sneak into your home and actually steal the deed. They can create a forgery online. I have seen an example of how this is done using my information. And let me tell you, it is terrifying. 
because the bad guys can get access to your home's title and then use it to take out a, a line of credit, and then you get stuck with the payments. Protect yourself from this, folks. Don't let this happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Welcome back, everybody. I am here in studio, no less. He is not on a transatlantic flight calling in from the sat phone. He does not have Shivas in his hand. Right now, it is only coffee. Uh, but we have Raheem Kassam with us. He is, of course, a former advisor to Nigel Farage. He's a writer, a pundit, and uh, all around gentleman about town. Mr. Kassam, good to have you here in the Freedom Hut. It's great to be here. We're often talking from airport lounges or the cobbled streets of Rome. This is far more glamorous. Yes. <laughs> Raheem, Raheem has duly noted that the Freedom Hut surroundings are not as tropical as you would think from the name that I would put out there. There's not a lot of, not a lot of sand in here. <laughs> a lot of gear and equipment, actually. But let's get right to it, Raheem. Yes. Because you were among the very few people I know of who were following this issue of, of the imprisonment of Tommy Robinson. Can you just give us a little of the backstory and then, because we got big breaking news on this today that you've been talking about, what happened to Tommy Robinson, just for those who didn't hear? Yes, so for those of you who don't know, Tommy Robinson is a um, uh, historically a street activist from the United Kingdom whose main issues uh, over the last 10 years have been um, grooming gangs, rape gangs, um, which predominantly are operative in the um, Islamic communities in the United Kingdom, and he sort of made this journey from being a street activist to being a citizen journalist, taking this a lot more seriously um, and standing effectively uh, outside courtrooms doing live reporting um, on the trials that are happening now from grooming and rape gangs that have been around for decades. Um, on May the 25th, he was pulled off the street by some police, arrested for breach of the peace, and then actually not charged with breach of the peace, but held at Leeds Crown Court in the north of England under contempt of court laws that we have in the United Kingdom for cases where the judge has said that you're not allowed to report on the trials. So he was held in contempt of court, sent to prison for 13 months, all within the space of about three to four hours. Nobody heard from him. His lawyer didn't hear from him. His wife didn't hear from him. Nobody really knew what happened to him until somebody just went through the court documents of that day and found out that he had been taken off the street charged, held in contempt, and sent to prison all within the space of three to four hours. Now, that was the backstory. Um, the the appeal since, uh, which has taken over multiple forms, um, it's been a diplomatic thing that we've been uh, pursuing, and I've been here leading that charge. I've also been organizing uh, street rallies in the United Kingdom. We've had over 25,000 people out at two different rallies on the streets protesting uh, against his imprisonment. Um, and, and the legal appeal, uh, which culminated uh, yesterday in him being uh, or, or, or almost entirely um, uh, sort of held uh, up as uh, an example of where the justice system falls down. This three-hour process was deemed to be an unfair process. It was deemed to not follow the letter of the law. And so he was released. So this is one of these moments, Raheem, where people look across, they look across the ocean, they see what's going on in the U.K., and and the fact that that a country that has given us common law, that we have taken so much of our own culture of, of liberty and individual rights and rule of law from could throw somebody in prison in this way 
and that there was so little, I mean, this is the part of it that I find so remarkable, so little outrage or even coverage of this in the media in this country yes. strikes me as, as noteworthy in and of itself. And, and I want to know what, what you think is, is this just because he's a, he's a hated figure among kind of uh, international cosmopolitanist liberals? I mean, what, what's, what was the reason for the silence around the silencing of Tommy Robinson. I mean, is he, is he a nativist? Is he a bad guy? I mean, I'm sure that's the kind of stuff they would say. Well, this is a this is a question I often ask myself because I was one of the people that originally bought into this idea that Tommy Robinson was this far-right, racist, xenophobic, jingoistic uh, uh, street thug is what they used to call him. I still call him that. Um, but, but I took it upon myself to actually get to know him and probe into this a little bit. Um, and found out that almost none of these things were, were true at, at all, in the slightest. Yes, he fell in with some bad people in his early life, um, but he's repudiated that. He left his original group, the English Defence League, um, and, and, and really tried to reform himself and, as I say, model himself on, on the sort of citizen journalism that Andrew Breitbart um, was in favour of. Um, so, so I often ask, and I ask the BBC and The Guardian and all these guys, I say, if this was someone on the left... Would you be tolerating them being thrown in prison like this? And the answer is unequivocally, no, they wouldn't. We get more het up about political prisoners in, in Iran than we get our het up about political prisoners in our own country. But there's one thing you did say which is interesting to me, is that you look across the pond and you see these things and you realise that, oh, you know, this is a warning for where you guys might go. But actually, unfortunately, uh, this whole process stems from something you guys started. It was the Race Relations Act in the United States that led the United Kingdom to pursue its own Race Relations Act, which is almost the underpinning everything of you can't criticise Islam, you can't criticise Pakistanis in Britain who are part of rape and grooming gangs in the name of multiculturalism. So, so as much as you can sort of throw it our way, I'll throw it right back at you and say the, the, the problem for us in the 1960s actually started here in the United States. Now, on that note, on the whole idea, the whole storyline behind the, the grooming gangs, by the way, the, the, the sensitivities of that from an, outs, from an outsider's perspective, meaning somebody who's not following, it, following the issue closely, and, and it's not easy to follow closely, I think, as you would note, because there seems to be something of a gag order, maybe self-imposed by a lot of major uh, British newspapers and, and media outlets, but it's that these are predominantly South Asian men, right? Not entirely, but predominantly South Asian men. So this would fall into in the left. We'd, they'd say this is part of the uh, you know a black and brown community. In this case, talking about people that would be in the latter category, um, and also there's an Islamic component to this because you're talking about men from South Asia. Uh, but but then is there also a, a cultural issue of the age of consent in some of these South Asian countries? And that oh, yeah. seems to be something that people don't really want to talk about. Is that this isn't? It's not just that men who uh, who come from you know, the tribal regions of northwest Pakistan, for example, come from areas where 12 is a marriageable age, mm -hmm. 13 is a marriageable age. Uh, it, you know, it, they they won't talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, th there won't be a discussion of this in the UK. I mean, is that a component of it? Is, is this reaching too far? No, no, it is a massive component of it. Um, having said that, um, a lot of these people aren't from uh, Pakistan. You know, these are people who were born in the United Kingdom to Pakistani parents. 
So it's not like they can really. Yes. Oh no, these aren't these aren't immigrants. These are second generation people. That's astonishing. So, so I there, know is, that. there is a cultural factor to it, but the cultural factor is more this. And I say this from experience. Growing up, um, my parents were immigrants from India into the United Kingdom, and when I was growing up, um, the, it, would, it was a flippant remark here or there. But they would sort of discourage me from hanging out with white people. You know, they're 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 bad people. They're they're not uh, you know low morals and all of this sort of stuff. And that is that is pervasive in South Asian communities. And so when you look at who was targeted as a result of these rape and grooming gangs, it was predominantly young white girls that they were targeting because they don't they don't um, hold them up to the same sort of human level as themselves. They think of them as 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 meat, effectively. Wow. That's I so I I did not know I'd never picked up from from reading about this, that they were in some cases, some of the more famous Rotherham is the most famous case I know, of, but that they were native born uh, Brits uh, of of South Asian uh, parentage, uh, and then, and then also what you're telling me, Raheem, is that there's a there's a racial animus angle to these orchestrated, and we're talking about hundreds of cases, right? Or maybe oh, even thousands, thousands now. Thousands upon thousands. I think we're into the tens of thousands now, actually, across the country. Folks, tens of thousands, Raheem is saying, of instances of uh, predation on on children. Well, there was uh, two thousand in Rotherham alone. I, I didn't. I didn't know. see. They, they, they're not telling you about this the numbers are not coming out you're not hearing about it and and maybe there's some sense of guilt from the media in the uk when someone like tommy robinson comes out i'm seeing here they kept him in solitary 23 hours a day 23 and a half hours a day uh, I, I know they're probably going to say that's for his own for his own safety but uh well then that seems then, rather punitive maybe don't hold him in prison no well maybe don't hold him in the highest uh, uh density muslim population prison in the united kingdom how about that and another that's, thing that, that they must have chosen to do. That's of course, astonishing. Of course That's was. astonishing. Yeah. Ian, please continue to follow this and write on it and, and come and tell us what's going on here, because I think that the to the extent we can, you know, especially given where the politics in this country are right now, when we can look at, at our close cousins in the in the U.K. and see some of the struggles they have with individual rights and freedom and liberty, uh, maybe there can you know be some lessons learned for us before we have to learn them ourselves. I would like to think that's the case. And you know what? The, the, the most helpful thing at the moment, because the British media won't do it, it has to be, unfortunately for us, it has to be others pointing out where this is going on. And, and, and Fox News has done the story a number of times, and you guys have done the story, but our own media won't touch it. So, you know, thank you for everyone here that's been trying to highlight this stuff. Raheem Kassam, everybody. Follow him on Twitter if you're not already. And you have a website? RaheemKassam.com. RaheemKassam.com. Check it out. Raheem, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Team, we'll be right back. You all know how much I love Black Rifle Coffee. I I do drink it every day, and I get it delivered to my front door via the coffee club. Uh, I've actually created a bunch of converts here in the Hill offices. It was a perfect taste test, folks. I took Black Rifle Coffee. I left it out on the counter here, our main kitchen area in the office. we got dozens and dozens of people working here. I left out Black Rifle next to some Dunkin' Donuts K-Cups and some other K-Cups from other, you know, commie corporations. Who knows what they are? Guess what was gone? I mean gone within one day. Black Rifle before any of the others, okay? The people have spoken, folks. Black Rifle Coffee is the most delicious and the most patriotic, freedom-loving coffee you can drink. Check it out for yourself. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. You will receive 15% off your order blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. I really do hope that every one of you listening to this will switch from whatever coffee you're drinking to Black Rifle. blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Sometimes we talk about regulations here and how Trump has been great on 
regulatory rollback. But I, I know it can feel kind of abstract, right? It can feel like, well, what what are we really are we really talking about? Uh, and I think that when you start to look at one of the more recent uh, one of the more recent moves by the uh, by the Trump administration, you see what a big deal this is. Uh, what a regulatory rollback can be. Here's uh, the left is freaking out about this, which is always a good, a good thing. Why Trump is taking on car emission rules? That's one one story here. Also, Trump administration unveils its plan to relax car pollution rules. Here's what it says. This is from the New York Times. The Trump administration on Thursday put forward its long-awaited proposal to freeze rules designed to make cars cleaner and more efficient significantly weakening one of President Obama's signature policies to combat global warming. Wait, I thought it was climate change. Now it's global warming again? Anyway, the proposed new rules would also challenge the right of states like California to set their own more stringent tailpipe pollution standards, setting the stage for a legal clash that could ultimately split the nation's auto market in two. The move immediately faced opposition from an unusual mix of critics, including not only environmentalists and consumer groups, but auto uh, industry representatives, as well as individual states who are launching efforts to change the plan before it is finalized. The plan was jointly published by the Environmental Protection Agency and the Transportation Department would roll back a 2012 rule that required automakers to nearly double the fuel economy of passenger vehicles to an average of about 54 gallons per uh, 54 miles per gallon by 2025. It would halt requirements that automakers build cleaner, more fuel-efficient cars, including hybrids and electric vehicles. Uh, people say, look, okay, so here, here's the, here's, this is a regulation. You're like, Buck, clean, clean uh, air stuff, auto emissions. Is this really uh, that big of a deal? And it is a, it's actually a huge deal. Um, let me explain why. On the left, this is going to really upset them because... They, you know, Obama was unable to get any legislation through in eight years of any significance on climate and climate change and and unable to get any congressional action even really on those issues. And so he was willing to use a pen on the phone, pen on the phone. That's all I was going to do. I was going to sign it. I was going to make a speech. He's going to talk to the American people like all of us are idiots. And he's really the smart one. Well, we're all so dumb. And he wants to save the planet. And we don't care about the planet. You know, you have all that stuff going on uh, when you so the left is going to be upset just because they view this as as erasing Obamaism, uh, which in a sense it is another great thing for Trump. Another part of the Trump administration's actions that you have to say this is absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, and here's here's the the. Good. So that so that's on the the left is upset about it. Also, as you know, climate change for them is a religion, and they got all this stuff. Um, the reality here is not just the erasing Obamaism, and also that they're climate change fanatics, and that this, this doesn't really do anything in the grand scheme of things. But also, this is going to mean much cheaper cars. I've seen estimates that this is going to save five hundred billion dollars folks okay that's billion with a b over the next 50 years just just removing this one regulation so that's that's an average of 10 billion dollars a year of just saved cost to the american consumer here's what the wall street journal writes on this 
The standards have helped drive up the cost of new automobiles to an average of $35,000, out of reach for many American families. Compared with the preferred alternative outlined in the proposal, keeping in place the standards finalized in 2012 would add 2340 to the cost of owning a new car and impose more than $500 billion in costs over the next 50 years. And this also means, by the way, that Americans are holding on to their older cars uh, and also buying older vehicles because it's more cost effective. The average vehicle on the road right now is 12 years old. All right. This all, all this data coming from the Wall Street Journal here. Each of the past two years, you had 37,000 lives lost on the roads. So by making car, making new cars less costly, you will mean you'll make it that enough people will buy newer cars that are safer, that they're more likely to survive in a crash. So this actually will save lives, too. Think about this. Okay, you're going to save by getting rid of these arbitrary Obama-era pen-and-a-phone fuel economy standards, which is what Trump is going to do now. And by by just by modifying these, you may save $500 billion for American consumers. Okay, You, you may save $500 billion that can actually be put to productive use in the economy. And you also may be saving lives in the process because this is one thing that liberals never really either understand or refuse to accept i think a lot of them just refuse to accept it the market speaks whether they try to silence it or not the price is the price and people that have choices to make are going to make them based upon what is best for them not what the government is trying to induce them to do Uh, and especially if you're not a climate change zealot you see that You'd rather just have an older car and and keep that older car because it's more cost efficient for you than having to buy. I mean, thirty five thousand dollars a year is an average new car, folks. Not long ago, that was you know, once you were talking about cars in the thirties in terms of expense, you know, thirty thousand and up. You're talking about a BMW, an Audi. You're talking about fancy stuff. Now, pretty standard vehicle is going to cost you know a, a minivan with all the bells and whistles going to cost you. Upwards of 30 grand. I mean, it's crazy how expensive all this stuff has gotten. And for what? Fuel economy standards? I mean, give, me a, give me a break. Um, here's also just how the journal finishes this off. In terms of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, the last administration, the Obama administration, admitted its requirements would have minimal impact. None of the options outlined in this administration's proposed uh, rule would have more than a negligible environmental impact either. This transparent, inclusive process is critical to creating one national standard that enhances safety and affordability while protecting the environment. Folks, you know, this is just bad regulation that they're getting rid of. Just regulation pushed by emotion and politics instead of what works, what's real, what's true. And this is when when people talk, well, why is the, Buck, why is, Trump better on the economy? Why are things looking so good for this country economically? Why do people have more money in their pocket? Jobs are coming back. Employment is is numbers are great. And unemployment is at I don't even know. Is it like a 30, 40 year low now? I mean, it's incredibly low. It's because of things like this. It's because instead of letting ideology drive policy, the Trump administration is letting the business of the American people be business.
Got Stephen Yates joining to talk China national security in a moment. Stay with me. You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Our friend Stephen Yates joins us now, folks, to talk about the latest on national security involving China. Stephen is joining us right now. He actually just came back from the Far East. He is the CEO of D.C. International Advisors, formerly a a national security advisor to Dick Cheney. Stephen, great to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So uh, so tell us, Stephen, what what is going on right now with with China on the national security front? Uh, this is something that, you know, we look at Taiwan, we look at these these issues that are getting pushed to the back burner, but these should be much higher on the radar. You just came from that part of the world. What's happening? Well, there are a number of things happening. I think, first and foremost, just the tectonic shift of the Korea summit and the talk of trade war has really uh, set a number of things stirring in different directions, one of which is speculation that the leader of China, Xi Jinping, might actually be facing pressure at home, maybe a leadership challenge from the military, uh, and it's increased their pressure campaign on Taiwan. Uh, So they try to block Taiwan from every international event or organization of any consequence. Taiwan, of course, is a free and democratic nation, and China claims it as its own. So uh, the U.S. has traditionally had an obligation to provide defense articles to Taiwan to help it defend itself. Uh, And otherwise, we've had somewhat of a maddening bureaucratic-led policy towards Taiwan. Uh, But really, the big moves in the area are China claiming sovereignty over the South China Sea, small islands, and then trying to isolate its enemies, most particularly the island of Taiwan. Yeah, well, on that notion, the Chinese government, I think just this just this past week, has been trying to push us not to allow the president of Taiwan to stop over in the U.S. Uh, on her way to Latin America. What's what's up with what's up with China trying to tell us who our president can meet with? That's absolutely true, and that's part of what I meant by kind of the mindless policy of our bureaucrats that have taken over really for the last fifty years. Uh, the fact that we have a democratically elected president of Taiwan and we don't have official relations with Taiwan, uh, it's absolutely, I think, offensive to what it means to be American for our government bureaucrats to say, well, this person can't visit the United States or can't give a public speech, and then to say that our president can't meet with that leader. Uh, really, that is the constitutional duty of the president of the United States himself to decide. Uh, and, of course, I think if a nation is worth helping to defend and even more important for our leaders to talk to each other you know the wall street journal actually has a piece out today Stephen. congress passes defense bill that's tough on china lawmakers from both parties back measure targeting beijing on military activity in south china sea pursuit of u.s technology do, do you think that uh, that our, our government's w- waking up to the fact that china is actually a much more serious national security and economic competitor threat than anybody else, including Russia. I think that the, the hopefully the Congress is waking up to this because I think the American people have been awake to this for some time. Politics is consistent with hearing people concerned economically on trade, but also on cybersecurity and 
kind of political warfare of infiltration of different societies, people have been much, much more attuned to the challenge China's present. And I just don't think it's a close contest. The Communist Party of China and the government it controls is the clearest, most present danger to the values that we hold, notions of sovereignty and that, we, that we hold tightly to, uh, and, and poses the greatest competitive, if not uh, oppositional, challenge we face in the world today. Uh, the, the Russia, Russia, Russia talk is just a tiny distraction compared to the comprehensive power and influence campaigns that China has going in the United States and around the world. How serious a concern is it in your mind, Steve? And you know, for folks listening, Steve actually speaks Mandarin, uh, has been a, a policy expert in this area for, for decades. So he's not just a, a generalist who's waxing philosophical on this. He actually has some real some real insight on it. Uh, But how serious are you or how serious is the concern uh, about China just actually militarily trying to take Taiwan, an invasion and absorption via force of Taiwan? I think the concern is very high Uh, on, on the list of probabilities. I put it a little bit low just in the sense that they try to use military force. Uh, and the threat of it as some form of persuasion, uh, just believing that no one will call their bluff. Uh, and so it's meant to intimidate more than anything else. Uh, but you just can't look at a loaded gun. And in this case, it's a nuclear weapons power with thousands and thousands of missiles aimed at Taiwan and at our ally Japan, and our, our forces deployed in the region. So you have to take it very, very seriously. It's been underappreciated. People try to say, no, no, we'll have summits with their leaders. Oddly enough, we don't have controversy about summits with a major human rights violator like China. Uh, But uh, that's just, I guess, a digression these days. Uh, But we have, I think, a massive, massive challenge on our hands militarily, but even more than militarily. What do you think about the administration in terms of uh, how it's dealing with China so far? I mean, what, do, you, do you think we're on the right path? Do you think they're not strong enough? Do you like the pushback on trade? How would you grade Trump with his China policy? Compared to President since Nixon, I would give him a very, very high grade. This is a policy that has been in need of disruption for a long time. People made a bet that we could have soothing discourse with leaders Uh, just talking about engagement, that economic development would lead to political change in China, and that our areas of cooperation would expand and areas of conflict would get smaller over time. That was the glorious dream that has been sold to our our bureaucrats and presidents really repeatedly in both parties. And I think it's a warm bath of conventional thinking, and it's on balance a lie. Uh, China is no more politically better today than it was in 1989, when it massacred thousands of its own people in front of the whole world to see. Uh, And it's obviously a much bigger military threat. It's a much more significant cyber threat than any other country on the planet. Uh, And so I think that the Trump administration with this pushback has been uh, wise. I think the trade uh, practices, the imbalance in that relationship has been badly in need of course correction. I think based on the Chinese reaction so far, the, the vitriol and negativity that they've had on the economic front tells me the Trump administration is stepping in the right direction. Stephen Yates, everyone, D.C. International Advisors. He's the CEO. Stephen, always great to have you, man. Glad you're, glad you're back on U.S. soil, and uh, thanks for all the stuff you're doing over there. Come back and talk to us soon.
Thank you so much, Buck. Anytime. Team, we got roll call coming up this hour. It's going to be a lot of fun, as always. So stick around. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call time. If you want to be a part, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is where you go. I'm not looking at the emails that much these days. Uh, I'll get to it soon, but I'm kind of lazy, and I don't, well, I'm not lazy, but I'm lazy about this. Uh, I don't like signing out of my Gmail to have to sign into another account, and that's what I have to do because we don't have an official account yet. So Facebook's the best way. I will get your emails, though, soon, I promise. Uh, And also, folks, even if you're a live listener to this broadcast across the country, I I do ask that you uh, consider joining me in the Freedom Hunt via the Freedom Hunt podcast, the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton you go on iTunes, Apple iTunes, uh, or at Stitcher.com, and you type in the Freedom Hunt, it'll pop up. Uh, it's also in the feed for those of you who are podcast listeners, so you should be able to see it right there. Raheem Kassam is my guest this week. We, I'm telling, we have a great chat. We cover a lot of territory, um, everything from the best the the best Scotch you can get to the advantages of having an English accent, asking out ladies in D.C. to Trump, Brexit. The far right in Europe, the far left in the U.S. I mean, we cover a lot of ground. It's a really interesting conversation. Raheem's a, a fascinating guy. So uh, please do check out that podcast. I hope you enjoyed Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell last week. Uh, we're just figuring out dates right now when we can have them back. We're going to do that again and make sure the audio quality. That was the first time, and doing the audio three-way wasn't easy, but uh, we're going to get it worked out so we have much better audio for all of you, and, and we're going to have a, an even more amusing conversation i would say that's one of the few podcasts i've ever done that i listened to a couple of times because it was just funny there's just some really funny stuff in there so that's the freedom hunt with buck sexton um and also um as of tomorrow you should go check out BuckSexton.com. we're gonna have a new site a uh, uh, new version of the site up a new site really um and we're gonna have all kinds of awesome functionality there it's gonna make listening to stuff and talking to each other and doing all kinds of things a lot easier. So I'm excited about that. But all right, your thoughts here, because it is roll call time. Dale, first up. Hey, Buck, heard your comments on Rush's milestone yesterday and couldn't agree more. He has played a huge role in keeping the conservative movement from being steamrolled. And yes, I remember hearing you guest host for him and thinking, wow, this guy is the best of Rush's fill-ins. Glad Rush introduced you to a new audience and that he continues to fight the good fight, especially when at this stage he doesn't have to. Uh, from Dale. Dale, thank you so much. First of all, I really appreciate that. And being a Rush villain, you are an, you're an already elite company. And to, I, I've, I've said this many times before, but I used to joke around with Rush's team that it was like Uncle Rush throwing me the keys to the Maserati for a day. I mean, just that show. I will never forget the experience of doing it for the first time and then seeing the messages and emails that I had and spending hours reading and responding to them because there were just so many. That show is, in terms of real reach to people, I mean, really having people that hear you in a way that matters, they remember. Rush's audience, is it's incredible. It was incredible. Uh, next up here is Roger, uh, who writes, Buck, the first time I ever heard of you was when you covered for Rush several years ago. 
I have not missed an episode of your show since. I appreciate your class and the kind words you said about Rush on your show yesterday. Shields high. Well, Roger, thank you. Look, Rush, Rush Limbaugh and his team, whom I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm close with his team and very, very fond of them, uh, Snurdly and, and the rest of his squad, uh, they, uh, look, they changed my life. I mean, they, they really were, of, of the breaks, the two biggest breaks that I've gotten in this business, where you have to get lucky, you have to get breaks. One was the just lightning bolt out of nowhere of Glenn Beck deciding to hire me uh, back in 2011. And then the other major break in my favor, which required a lot of hard work and, you know, a lot of not not the most fun grunt work and stuff. But anyway, uh, was when Russia's team called me. That was a real elevation. That was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very thankful for both of the, both of those things. And Sean, by the way, also let me fill in on his show, too. I don't want to, I don't want to, let's skip it over to Sean's show. Is also a huge audience, also, and his team I'm, I'm, I'm very close with. In fact, I did my show in New York right next door to them every day, and they, they do everything they can to help me all the time. I mean, so Sean's team, for those of you who listen to Sean uh, and Rush, just know that not only are they, you know, the, the two, two titans in the radio, in the radio industry and, and business, but also the people around them are really good people. Um, and I think you already know that just from listening to the host and listening to the show, but the people around them are, they're like a tight knit little family for freedom. They really are. And I don't say that, uh, I don't say that lightly. Um, all right, next up here, uh, so many messages today. Michael writes, I was giggling out loud on the bus this morning, listening to Wednesday night show, opening with chants that CNN sucks. Then I heard you cracking up in the background it's good to know we have the same sense of humor in the Freedom Hut. Indeed, my friend. It is amusing to hear chants of CNN sucks. Uh, it, is, it is amusing indeed. Um, so thank you for that. Adam writes, Buck, will Black Rifle ever expand into tea for those of us who are non-coffee drinkers? You know, that is a good question, my friend. I am not sure... I will, I will ask, uh, and this is where I tell you, please do go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Uh, that's something that, if you listen to this show, you should, you should drink it, not just because they're veterans and they're great guys, and when you go to that site and you buy the coffee, you are casting a vote in favor of the Buck Sexton Show and the Freedom Hunt and everything we do. Every time you do that, every time you buy coffee from Black Rifle, uh, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, you are giving us a high five and helping us out, as well as Drinking really good coffee. I, I'm t- this is an not this is not an ad. This is a true story. I put out some of my black coffee K cups here next to uh, Dunkin' Donuts K cup stuff. Uh, we have some Starbucks, you know, K cup coffee or whatever. It's I think actually Starbucks brew, whatever it is, and, and then the usual kind of standard office. K- and the black rifle stuff is gone right away. And I've I've had three people. I just started putting it out in the office this week in these in these boxes uh, where the cake up rounds are are you know they come to you in this little box it looks like an ammo box. It's awesome. And they're like, "Buck, the black rifle stuff is so much better. Can you get us more?" I've had three people in my office here at the Hill say that. So I, I really do mean it when I say it's it's delicious coffee, and I do drink it every day. In fact, I I drink it during the show uh, at night, which does keep me up a little bit sometimes. But it's all right. I I got I got stuff I got to do. Uh. Let's see here. One second. Uh, Benjamin writes, hey, Buck, movie quote. 
You gonna pull them pistols, uh, pistols or whistle Dixie? Uh, is that Tombstone? I think it's from Tombstone, right? Skin that smoke wagon. Remember he says that in uh in Tombstone. Tombstone's my favorite western. I know it's not a classic of the genre and all that stuff. I don't care. It's my favorite western. So so there, take that. Uh, here we go. Uh, Brian writes, hey, Buck, listen to the podcast of Austin changing their name. And it occurred to me that since the Democrats were the party of slavery and Jim Crow laws, shouldn't they have to change the name of their party? Ooh, Brian, laying it down. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, they won't, but you make it. You make a fair, a fair point. And writes, uh, hey, Buck, listening to last night's show, ostriches are mean. When my nephews were little, we went to a petting zoo. The two year old wanted to feed the animals but hadn't figured out he needed to open his hand. No problem for the goat. The ostrich, on the other hand, wanted that food so bad it grabbed my nephew's little fist and lifted him off the ground. Wow. Harrowing experience for my sister and my nephew, but not the ostrich from Anne. Yeah, Anne, ostriches are mean. They're mean little suckers. I'm telling you. They're, they're bad news. You don't get on the wrong side of an ostrich. All right, everybody, that's going to be it for the Freedom Hut today. Please do download this podcast and also the Freedom Hut podcast, and uh, we will see you tomorrow for a Freestyle Friday. Shields high. You know, it's funny. Last night, my air conditioner went out in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, I'm over there, and I'm trying to flip a bunch of switches and turn off the breakers and blah 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 No fun. Finally got it fixed. But you know what? You know what I don't have to worry about? Simply Safe. Simply Safe is literally easier for me to program and use than my own air conditioner, okay? And it's a whole lot more important that my home is safe and secure than that I don't get a little overheated at night, right? Simply Safe is the best security system in the business it is so user-friendly it's so easy and once you download the app for it to your smartphone you'll see you can control it's like you've got eyes on your home all the time right you know what's going on there it's a system design that you'll never notice it you never to think about it it's easy and intuitive with no contracts folks no contracts police fire dispatch all that just 15 dollars a month all right protect your home today visit simplysafe.com slash buck that's simplysafe.com slash buck. One more time, simplysafe.com slash buck.